0: Welcome back to the Be A Better Ally podcast. My name is Trisha Friedman. My pronouns are she, her, and hers. The key question for this week's episode is really reflecting on what the benefits of collaboratively designed professional learning are. For those of you who lead learning, what are you doing to try and bridge with different partners different co-designers in order to better your practice, in order to better self-reflect on what your values for learning are, and really to level up as a collaborator. Our special guests this week are Meredith Klein and Sherry Spelitz, who you may actually remember if you are a longtime listener of this show. Sherry was on way back on episode 37, and she was also on episode 3 of the Unhinged Collaboration podcast. Um, if you follow me on social media, you may also know that I'm a huge fan of Bending the Arc Sherry's free newsletter. So you're going to find those links over there in the show notes, and you're also going to find links to connect with both Sherry and Meredith, They are amazing educators who we have so much to learn from, and I'm so happy that they are here today to take some time for us to really focus on our practice of collaboration as adult learners before we dig into this week's conversation. I want to remind you all, speaking of collaborative learning, there are just three seats remaining in the Shifting Schools three-month generative AI cohort. That cohort runs from August through to September into October, where each month we are going to have a webinar that's based on participants' questions. We're going to have a whole bunch of curated resources that are highly personalized. Generative AI is shifting our practice as educators, and it is so important that we also center equity and inclusion when we're talking about generative AI tools like ChatGPT. I'm co-facilitating that cohort with Jeff Udick. You can learn more about it by heading over to the show notes, and you can also check out a promo code to get a discount on joining that course. If you are interested in my work on the intersection of equity and AI, there's also a link to a course in the show notes. Because that course has been so popular, I've been asked to develop a part two of it. I'm still looking for a few educators who are interested in testing out the course and letting me know what they would like in the part two. So if you would like to be one of those uh, test learners who's going to give me some feedback, you can get access to that course free. My email address is over there in the show notes. Reach out and let me know if you are interested by this weekend, please. Now, back to today's guests, Meredith and Sherry. Um, Again, if you are a school leader, I hope their thoughts in this conversation also inspires you to reflect on what you're doing to set the conditions for collaboratively run, collaboratively designed professional learning on your campus. Enjoy our conversation. What a joy to be talking about a topic that I think doesn't necessarily get the attention and love it deserves, and that's co-facilitation. I'm wondering if we might start our conversation on co-creating professional learning with a little forced analogy game Um, For each of you, I'm wondering from this list, which analogy might feel closest to the truth when you think about your experience of designing learning together. So here's your lineup of of options. Is the practice of co-facilitating, co-creating professional learning most like option A, playing doubles tennis, option B, creating a new arrangement of an old song, Option C, gardening in someone else's yard. Or option D, co-navigating a road trip to a new place. So whoever would like to think about um, their forced analogy first, the the mic is yours. Okay,
1: Uh, I will say, I thought, I thought it was doubles tennis. And then I realized, "Mm," actually, the the, uh, navigating a road trip. Is maybe closer to what feels like what we do, right? Because with a with playing doubles tennis, you have a a, a limited game, right? You either you you win, you play the match, and then the match is over. Um, the road trip there's also a destination, but you may be at it for a while, and there may be several different types of things that you need to to navigate, think about, uh, decide on where you're going to stop, and um, and traveling with anybody is challenging and is just so full of decision-making, which I generally find exhausting. Um, And so traveling with someone who doesn't make that feel exhausting, that's a big one.
2: So I've got to go with the same thing Um, uh, in in perfect fashion of how we tend to relate to each other, totally same reasons, but sort of different interpretation. Because I also think about this idea that when you're co-navigating a road trip You think you have a destination in mind, but that can change and things come up along the way that you have to kind of sort out, you know, like what's the music, what's the food, what are the breaks, are you tired, should you drive, do you want me to drive? How do you, how do you navigate, not just the quote navigating of the trip, but navigating the sharing of really close space together. So to me, that means it's got to be somebody I really, really like, (laughs) but also somebody I really trust, because I got to trust that I can be my, you know, you're yourself on those long road trips. Um, I can always be myself with Sherry.
0: Well, and I, I'm wondering, like, unpacking that analogy a little bit further, you know, a, a road trip also, like you were saying, like, there's things that happen that are just beyond your control, right? There's bad weather, there's a road closure, there's other drivers and I'm sort of wondering that idea of understanding or recognizing or grappling with there are things that are kind of within the realm of our control and then there's this whole other context do you feel like that analogy works too with what you're trying to do in uh, facilitating learning for others like how does that analogy does it still work out or is it like hmm I don't know.
1: I think it does. Partly because I I think, again, a lot of what we are trying to do is we're, it feels like with with the the DEIJ collaborative, a lot of our work is actually behind the scenes. It's less active facilitation of the group itself. I mean, there's some of that, but really a lot of it is behind the scenes and creating offerings for others. So it's this... um, you know, sort of choosing the ingredients for the, this is actually a different metaphor, sorry, I'm mixing metaphors. Go with it, it's all right. <laughs> but, um, you know, but it's almost like choosing the ingredients and the, and, you know, how are we going to create this thing that we want everyone to enjoy or par- be able to partake of, or that it's a, that's accessible to everyone? Do we have variations, you know, to, that, that um, will accommodate lots of different tastes? Um, and so I feel like that's a a little bit more of, of how we operate
2: yeah i yeah i agree i think it still applies and I, i'm going back trisha do you think about the things you can't control i mean in our in our context i guess that would equate to um someone sharing a challenge they're having at their school and not quite knowing how to deal with it or um dealing with thinking that somebody in their school was supportive and they turned out to actually be resistant or even oppositional and so it's that it's that kind of tag teaming, how can we offer some suggestions, how can we pull some resources to share, who, who you know, how how can we take turns checking in with that person to see if they need something, um, those unforeseen bumps, how do we kind of work together to help somebody else if that is something that kind of comes up, you know, and then I think that's also true of when things pop up for each of us, you know, how can we help each other through those bumps.
0: Yeah. And then I think maybe the flip side of that is, and maybe I'm I'm also sort of like really excited that you picked that analogy because it, it was a, a year ago that actually when my wife and I moved across country, we actually did that as a road trip. Mm-hmm. And I mean, like, that's the biggest road trip I will have ever done in my life. But I'm thinking about some of the really magical moments of that road trip were not necessarily like parts of the trip that we had anticipated, right? So you also, just like you have that bad weather, road closure, you know, something happens one day, there are also these moments in a road trip where it's like, you can't plan for the magic to a certain extent. And I'm wondering um, if that maybe resonates with, with both of you, if you've sort of had something happen in a session where it's like, I had no idea this learning maybe would transform into that or because of, you know, like Sherry, something I really admire about you is you understand you've got to make a lot of space and leave a lot of space for others. Um, you know, it's not useful, I think, to have like every single moment completely micromanaged, right? Especially when we're dealing with adult learners. I, you know, I, I think it's sort of like, where is that room for it to be shaped by the group is so important and it's, it's an easy thing to say it's a really difficult thing I think to do especially when we work in education and we are often as teachers we have this responsibility to be making thousands of choices and feel like a, a responsibility for control right so I'm, I'm kind of wondering if that idea of the unplanned magical moment like the gorgeous road pit stop that you, you can't anticipate, does that also resonate? Or is there a memory that's maybe coming to mind for either of you?
1: Um, I love the phrase, you can't plan for the magic. That, exactly that. Because for me, there are a couple of things, a couple of moments that, that really um, will stay with me. And I think one of them was fairly recent. Um, we're at the end of the second year of the collaborative. And we asked stu- schools or representatives of their schools to volunteer to share, um, you know, about ten minutes or so about what's going on at their school. Like, what what kind of things do they have going? What are you know What are they happy about? What are the you know What are some of the challenges? Um, what where are they where do they see things going? And simply having not just not having just created the space, but to hear from these very different school contexts and the different ways that schools were approaching, um, you know, sort of teasing out, what do we mean by this? How are we operating? What is it? What do we think we can manage?
2: It's funny. I wrote, the, I wrote that phrase down to Tricia, the, the, um, that you can't plan for the magic. I think. Um, yeah. I mean, I agree. Um, but the other one that really stands out for me was actually um, seeing how the student collaborative kind of came together because um, Sherry and I uh, and our other colleague, Jackie, who who helped um, kind of get that off the ground uh, in our region, we all kind of have a very similar philosophy, which is that, um, you know, student work leading this and student agency isn't just um, planning out for them just to answer someone else's questions. Like, I'm not saying there's not value in that. There certainly is. And those kinds of panels are, are wonderful always. Um, but we wanted to sort of offer something a little bit, uh, a little bit different, and so we did uh, very little, <laughs> but I'm mean, intentionally. So when we, what we did, kind of like Sherry said before, the behind the scenes was helping the logistics of let's get the kids' emails together, let's get those GDPR forms, let's make sure they all have permission that we can be working with students from schools across our region. They're going to work together. They're going to decide what they want these sessions to be at a conference or they're going to decide together what are the what what recommendations do they want to make for uh, the directors in our region. And then we sent that off. And all we really did was I think we met them once for like 15 minutes just to say, can we help you timing? Because we know what it is to time out a session and it never goes the way you think it does. Mm-hmm. We didn't do anything. With regard to the content, uh, with regard to them figuring out how to share their speaking space, because for these sessions, it was, you know, six, seven kids from three, four different schools, and they did it, and they were brilliant, and it was, you know, standing room only when we were at the conference in the spring, um, and equally so the students who did recordings of sessions and shared really personal things, and it was just that magic of if you just get the safe space established and the students know that you'll step in if something is over the line, like if if something needs to be assisted, but otherwise they've got it. And just to sit back and watch them, I mean, I learned a ton listening to them. So that was pretty magical.
0: I'm wondering actually if you can uh, just talk a little bit to listeners about, I mean, again, dragging this metaphor and analogy out even further, uh, the collaborative that you're talking about To what extent there may have been like a destination in the mind of participants or a destination in the mind of schools or yourselves in terms of what the journey was trying to focus on? Or again, if you could even maybe, you know, like from the analogy standpoint, how was this communicated to the groups? So they joined thinking they were headed to. X place, was there a destination in mind or was it sort of a more, I don't know, my choose your own adventure journey kind of thing, if that makes sense?
1: Well, something I, what I, what I think was the case, because again, I'm someone who sort of came to the collaborative as actually as a, one of the representatives from my school and only then connected with Meredith and, and she asked me to, to join, Uh, And and co-facilitate. But I will say we started out, it was originally the CISA DEI collaborative, right? So it already, you know, so that was one piece. And the idea was to have two representatives from each of the member schools in Central and Eastern Europe, Central and Eastern Europe, and actually pretty far east all the way to Uzbekistan and um, Azerbaijan um they also belong to our region but the main thing was to get you know representatives from all these schools together talking about diversity equity and inclusion and how do we achieve that so that already was a huge you know just like let's create something that previously did not exist I think previously in within the Cesar region there were there were job alikes right so Mm -hmm. librarians and and different disciplines like there those existed but this was really something different. So I think people had a sense of, oh, I'm going to get to talk with other people who are trying to move a school in particular directions regarding diversity, equity, and inclusion.
2: Yeah, it's so funny because I, I actually have, I've never thought about this because I don't think I ever had a destination in mind. I think because when Sherry and I kind of got it going, it was always with the intent that after a bit, we would be stepping aside and letting someone else help facilitate. It was never it was never created to be like our thing. It was meant to be like, how can this be something in the region that just supports people, you know, because schools have faculty and staff that come and go. And <clears throat> how can this just be a, a, an evolving group? So um, I, I've never, um, I've actually thought about it as the opposite, as it isn't something that has an end point because it needs to keep changing with whoever is involved.
0: I'm wondering, you know, both of you are are talking about that space piece and, you know, Meredith, your language just in terms of stepping aside. Incredibly important, right? Like we know in terms of motivation that autonomy is huge, right? Like, you know, folks want to feel like they are de- decision makers. And yet I feel like I've attended a lot of PD where it might be like, an hour in and I have yet to make a single decision for myself. Right. Um, I'm wondering if you recognize something in the work that you're doing at your school that helps set you up. Like, you know, I'm, I'm thinking here even Sherry, like as a PE practitioner, is there something about what you've seen with like free play that has helped you understand like the power of, you know, when, When children are literally making up the rules to their own game, like there's a level of engagement there that anybody who's like seen a playground where again, children are just really immersed in this game belongs to us right now. It's a beautiful thing. Um, So I don't know if there's something that has helped you really understand the power of being willing to really honor that space, to not make every single decision for participants, is there is there something that's helped you, or is it even just a, I don't know, like the longer we are in education, the more we come to appreciate that. I, I just I, I'm wondering if there's something at the foundation of your work that's really helped you understand that value.
1: Um, Trisha, I think you are you are right that my my PE background certainly is one that um, where I am thinking a lot about how students approach things and what is fun for them is when they have a certain degree of agency, when I'm, when I haven't planned everything out. Um, that is one aspect. But I also think that my own experiences with, with professional development um, and with coaching, with athletic coaching, and then also with professional coaching have always helped me that those are things that I, I, I have become fundamental beliefs about the way that we learn as people, that we have to have our own experiences, and that I, as the instructor, the facilitator, the coach, I am simply there to help move things along. Um, that, you know, the solution to any problem resides within the people who are presenting that problem. Like, like that's that piece, right? Um and and certainly, in the collaborative, Something that I I'm reminded of, and I'm reminding myself of that more often now, as we be sort of prepare to step back, is that it's not about me, it's not about us as as leaders, um, but that there is expertise and wisdom and 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 clarity within the group, and so often I have to that sometimes really it's just you know, stepping back and saying, okay, and asking and, and, and also being honest and saying, you know, friends, this is not my forte.
2: Can someone take care of this?
1: And that's certainly also a big part of our, uh, collaboration because woo emails.
2: Subject: I teach Lang and Lit. That's my subject group. And I think the way that I approach that, and also the way that I think about how I work with Sherry is this idea that, um, I am not, uh, the decider of content, right? and that applies to everything. Um, I will never know, you know, I, I cannot, I cannot speak to, you know, every single book and every single cultural contact and link to it, nor am I supposed to, right? Cause that keeps me in the center as opposed to opening things up to students, the same way that Sherry and I work together. You know, when we're, when we're facilitating a meeting, it's not really about, we're not dispelling knowledge. <laughs> like, you know, the whole thing is how do we how do we create a space together? And Sherry and I both really enjoy that process of how can we help, how can we help, you know, spark a conversation and see where that goes? And I think she and I both function that way in how we work together with each other and also how we both ap- apply that same kind of philosophy to how we work together. Um, so I think it's it's just that separation of this isn't about me or Sherry or even together, knowing all of the things. We do not know all of the things. I know very few of the things. <laughs> you right. know
0: it's
2: a, it's about, it's about how do we how do we learn to better listen and share and work together and then be really grateful that we're learning together from each other.
1: And I will also add that uh I I do believe that Meredith and I share uh, a great taste in people. Um, <laughs> So that the people that whom we've been able to invite and encourage to join us as speakers for the speaker series um, has just been phenomenal. Like we have been so fortunate to to attract the voices that we've been able to and to to again to again to just create the offering. Right. Um, For the region, Um, because the speaker series, I want to point out. Um, when we have the speaker, usually we've had it we've had the speaker do a session that's for any employee in a C- in a CISA school, right? So it doesn't matter what your role is in, in that school. If you're a CESA member school, it's free. Mm. You can come to that session um, and just participate, right? And that that piece has been just tremendous. Because it's not just something that, you know, we, the collaboratives, kind of hoard uh, knowledge and, and access to a particular set of experts. No, this is really sharing that expertise as widely as we possibly can. Um, and that provides then impetus for further conversations within the collaborative that then also, again, go further beyond and into deeper into the schools.
0: Yeah. <clears throat> And that kind of touches back to, I think, again, this idea of you can't plan for the magic in in a broader sense in that we have no idea which conversations will be sustained or for how long. You know, I think to the extent that we are capable of assessing the like in quote marks quality of our facilitation, I always think. To me, when I hear from somebody like years later, hey, remember when we talked about that? Or remember when we were like, if it's like conversations are still being had from a different standpoint almost, I feel like that is a sign or it's like a little bit of evidence of something must've been going right. But what you're both talking about too, is just how important positioning yourself as a listener is and um i've been like and celeste headley's work has really influenced my thinking here around debate doesn't change anybody's mind right to the extent actually that any of us can forcibly change someone else's mind is like erroneous there's a lot of research around this the thing that often does help folks is the listening and the almost acting uh like the processor for what that person is thinking or understanding actually what you're saying, what do you mean by that? Or what's informed you're thinking around that is a far useful experience for that person than me saying like, Oh, well that's wrong. Or here's, you know, actually, actually, did you know, Um, you know, that that really often puts folks in the defensive position. Right. But um, just how crucial it is to be a highly skillful listener, I feel like more and more of the research that I do just underscores how important that is. And on one hand, I find myself very frustrated by that because I feel that my own educational upbringing did very little to help me hone my listening skills. I really feel like it's only been in my adulthood that I've had some opportunity to like really stretch or like engage in some, some practice that's going to help me get better at that. And I think being a better listener, not only in my job is important, but like in my family and my friendship, like it really matters too. I'm wondering if either of you or both of you wants to touch on that. And if there has been something that's been useful to you, or is the very nature of you co-facilitating does that, does that practice help you become a better listener? Whenever it's, whenever we're kind
2: of tag teaming and we're going to have, we're going to, you know, co-facilitate some sort of conversation with the collaborative group or, or if we're doing something else together, we both are a big fan of uh, like listening protocols. Uh, and both, it's so funny because we actually, now that I think about it, you and I never actually even talked about like, are you okay with this? We both just preferred ones where even if the timing is a little different the structure is that when a person in a group is speaking there is no interruption for a set amount of time and um and then after people speak there's like an opportunity for exchange but it's really more in the form of questioning and follow-up as opposed to a reacting to what someone said because it really gets people out of the habit of listening to talk, as opposed to listening to kind of think and check yourself a little bit. So, yeah, I think that's interesting because you and I both, you both, you and I both always opt for those kinds of listening protocols when we have group things.
1: Yep, I mean, I, I, I <laughs> grant I mean, my my um, my blog and my Twitter handle refer to listening so they're both edified listener Mm -hmm. so i've already hung my hat on that that hook right um of being a listener of of advocating for listening um that said it's still something that i you know i it's not like i'm perfect at it i definitely there there are contexts in which i absolutely struggle to listen in the way that i hope someone would listen to me um and often that's in in familial context right it's it's not it's not necessarily my professional context it's in more familiar context where I'm sort of like oh oh." but um but listening as you point out I mean it is it is a foundational pathway for understanding for understanding others for also engendering a, a, a wider capacity to understand each other um and so that's why I I do I feel strongly about it and it's it for me, it's central to to any sort of learning context, you know, regardless of of the age of, or stage of learners. I just think we all need that practice. So I'm I'm one that, yeah, as you say, we, we both love our we love our protocols. And and they they and they also it never will cease to amaze me how often people say, wow, man. And you realize how how seldom it actually is happening for folks. So that's another thing. That's always another clue that reminds me mm, necessary.
2: Yeah. Or how often people say how difficult it was, right? They come back and they're like, wow, that was so hard to stick to. It was really hard for me not to jump in. And yes. I I mean, for sure. Cause I feel that way too, you know, I, it really makes me I, like, I have to really be focused on that person, but that also, I feel like helps me be, um, just more present, right? It it pushes back the urge for your mind to kind of want to really pulls you into that person
0: a bit more. Even having that conversation with folks around, what does it take for you to really feel appreciated or valued in a conversation is is often really useful because I think coming from a Western culture standpoint too, it's sort of like quick, fast, having the answer right away has been like put on this pedestal versus those conversations where there is a pause. You can tell folks are like really thinking about what they want to share versus I knew what I wanted to say because I wasn't listening to what you said. I was thinking about what I wanted to say, right? Um, It kind of moves into my, my next question for you. One of my all-time favorite quotes on facilitation comes from Adrienne Marie Brown, and I've really tried to almost as like a grounding practice for myself before starting a session remind myself of this quote. The quote is, there is a conversation in the room that only these people at this moment can have. Find it. I'm wondering if you have a story about that idea that comes from maybe a session that you've that you've designed together, um, which is either like how difficult that can be, right? to to really help find that conversation that is it's timeless, right? Like all of these sessions that we deliver, they, yeah, you know, I, I think maybe I'm thinking about it more too, in light of the current context we're in, where. Folks are are stressed out, um you know, to put it mildly. like these are very, very difficult times to be working in education. Um, I think, arguably the hardest time. Um, so that that context piece is always really on my mind. Anyway, I'm wondering if that quote resonates with you in some way, shape, or form. but I think maybe as a as a co-facilitator,
1: one of the things that I have i so maybe religiously practices, to remind myself uh, that I there is no need and no expectation for me to be the smartest person in the room. And that just that alone, and then knowing, oh, also, uh, I am working with someone who is fabulous. My co-facilitator has got it going on. She is organized. She has prepared the slide deck. And uh, really, most of my work is, is in showing up. Um, And so those two things combined um, really make it much easier for me to sort of just sort of to say, let to let whatever's going to happen, happen, you know, in whatever, in the breakout session, um, in the, you know, in the questions that come up, if we have a guest speaker and all that stuff, like I'm absolutely open to like, let it
2: happen. We both have a, we read each other pretty well. And so- we, we pick up on when the other needs something, if that makes sense. Um, and if we're, you know, I, I think that's really, really important. It's the intuitive relationship that I think we have, that it's not so much a specific conversation at it is, is just like, it's like the, it's like the unspoken stuff, you know?
0: That's interesting because I wanna make sure I'm understanding or I'm not misunderstanding. I think sometimes when folks talk about that intuition piece or like like the feeling out is not the same as like you're not a mind reader, right? So it's also you know, I, I, I do a lot of co facilitation with my partner at Shifting Schools, Jeff Udick. Our time has been consumed lately by AI and education. And what we've been really trying to do with that is center equity, because there's a tremendous amount of issues there. That's a whole separate podcast episode, right? But my tendency, and I want to tap onto something Sherry, you said. When we're delivering these, sometimes people will be like, oh, well, you're the AI expert. And I'm like, nobody, like maybe a handful of people are actual AI experts my curiosity with this has just been around for a number of years, and I think the curiosity piece has been useful. I've been reading, experimenting with this for a while, so I'm just like a little bit ahead of where some folks are at. When Jeff and I are designing a lot of our sessions, I think sometimes I get to a place where I want to jump ahead to some stuff around algorithmic bias, and he's like, Tricia, you're forgetting that some folks A, they're forgetting like what they're already using in their lives that is based on an algorithm. So let's remind them. And B, inevitably a lot of the folks that we're working with will not necessarily have even opened up a generative AI tool like a Dolly or ChatGPT yet. And, you know, that tension in that, hey, you know, actually you're you're forgetting the participant experience first, and where we'll grapple with where we want the starting point to be and some of the things that we need to dig into and the scaffolding that needs to happen some of that is this generative argument that we have right and we can have productive tension because we have trust and i know meredith you brought that up earlier so i'm wondering if you can talk about that noticing what's going on with the other and feeling is also not you're not able to do that because you just perfectly get along at all times I'm wondering if, like, I am a big believer that you can't have a healthy dynamic if you can't argue. Because I know, like, you know, sometimes folks will be like, we never, ever argue. And I'm like, are you really saying what you think at all times then? Like, I just don't know that that's feasible or possible. But I wonder to the extent that you have noticed tension as a useful or generative characteristic of the work that you do. And now I feel like you're both looking at me like, no, we actually always do get along.
1: <laughs> you know what's interesting about that, Tricia, is that I also think that um, one of the things that has made uh, you know the made it possible for Meredith and I to work as closely with each other as we do is this interface, right? It's this digital interface. Um, most of our contact has been through Zoom, lots of email, mm-hmm. lots of email. Um, and and because we've never worked at the same school,
0: mm-hmm.
1: we so there's this there is this fundamental distance that is built into our relationship. And that the way in which we have come to know each other has been through writing. It's also been through speech, but again, mediated through the screen. So there's always, there's just a a kind of distance. Um, And also because we're coming together in support of this third point,
0: Mm
1: that there, i think there are, that there are a lot of factors there that there's not a, there's not the same need for a kind of tension the tension is usually coming from outside not necessarily from within our relationship i think it would be different if we weren't the same institution if we but i do think just the 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 sort of the built-in distance that is that already exists enables us to work together in a way that would be more challenging if we were in the same institution or yeah, that's, that's my, that's something that I I haven't thought about particularly, but I do think that's a a pretty significant factor.
0: Oh, interesting. And is that again, that like asynchronous collaboration, is it in part because it's, as you were saying, a lot of the communication is through writing. So by default, it's like you are slowed down a little bit in terms of thinking more about what you want to say and share and do, like, is that just almost like forced slowing? What you find useful there,
2: possibly. Um, but you know, but we do meet a lot too. Like we we do a lot of sort of um, you know eight to eight to nine thirty p.m. chats together. Um, but I I think the bigger thing is w- what we're doing. I'm not sure how. There's nothing. I hesitate to use this word because I it can be easily taken out of context, but there's, there's, there's no positioning, no, no competition. There's mm. no, there's no, um, I don't quote threat to something happening like, Oh, she gets this. And I don't like, like it truly is. We're working together be- in a very similar fashion about making space for conversations So there's no definitive end product that we, you know, it's, it's much more, it's, it's the humanness. And I think, cause Sherry and I both like the human.
1: (laughs) Yeah. There's no,
2: there's no, there are no points. Yeah.
1: There are no gold stars. Yeah. Um, There's a certain degree of, you know, we feel called to do. And also, we part, I'm sure that a lot of it is also because of each other.
0: Is there like a green flag kind of a thing that you would say you saw in one another where you knew this partnership? Maybe easy isn't the right word, but you knew actually a lot of the additional work, a lot of the additional labor that can come in when it's like, oof, this partnership, forget about what we're trying to design. Like, we actually, like, the partnership itself is, is some work? What's maybe for, for folks who are listening and they're thinking, I want to do more co-facilitation, but I want to have like what Sherry and Meredith are, are describing. So what's sort of like a green flag kind of thing that you're thinking this is something maybe to look out for in a potential partner? Green flags
1: definitely in recognizing, oh, here's someone who is, who is about the work, who is knowledgeable without being presumptuous who listens who has remarkable curiosity and who is invitational mm. because actually it was meredith who invited me to hey would would you would you, co- would you co-facilitate with me and i was sort of like so she's someone it's easy to say yes to
0: put that
2: in your bio meredith i know i'm like jeez we have I that we have this plan that we have been sharing with people. Well, I've been sharing with people. I'm not sure. <laughs> but I'm just convinced that because Sherry is very fancy and gets and does all these things, you know, again, getting back to your point about like a lack of competition, I'm looking for an excuse where I can just like be her full time like appointment booker, scheduler, and hype girl. And like that's just what I do. And I would do that gladly. <laughs> I look forward to that day. Um, I the reason that I well there's a number of reasons why I really wanted to work with Sherry and some I'll keep, you know, they're sort of personal between our, our friendship. Um, but Sherry is, um, Sherry is very sharp. Mm -hmm. Sherry is able to look at a lot of stuff and synthesize down to its core and get right to it in a way that's very refreshing and genuine. Um, and, I, I always feel like when I have conversations with Sherry, like I'm, you know, i I'm, I, I have so many, I so many little like nuggets I've tucked away of things that she said or conversations we've had, and I think that somebody that constantly, um, just uh, is so genuine, is so genuine uh, in everything that she does. Um, you know, there is there is no ulterior motive with Sherry. There is, there is. It it is such a, it is such a. Um, just you know, the, the word authentic, I feel sometimes gets gets appropriated, misused, or gets. It's become kind of buzzwordy, unfortunately, because Sherry is the most authentic person, and so I think again, like who who do I, when I think about people with whom I really enjoy working, it's that just such deep intelligence, but that is divergent and at the same time precise, you know, and at the same time so emotive and so genuine. Um, I mean, who wouldn't I mean, who doesn't want to work with Sherry? <laughs> you know, like I honestly I feel like I just I have like the best gig, you know?
0: Yeah. I mean, what you're describing, I think for folks who are thinking, I also want to work with Sherry, but for reasons of time and geography, if that's never a possibility, I think Meredith readers of her newsletter get that sense too, right? Like Every month when bending the arc comes out, it's you're grappling with a lot of stuff that's timely, but there's all of these bridges and like weaving through and and pointing us to how they're connected. I think is so important. I find the older I get, the more I am aware of interconnectedness with different issues. And I think it's important for us to always be having that conversation because I think it's it can be empowering as an educator to realize. If I'm taking steps in a direction towards understanding or working on one of these issues in a very, like, zoom out way, I'm getting ready to engage with a wide variety of them. And I, I you know, we started before we hit record, we were talking about some of the issues, some of the things that I'll speak for myself, I'm feeling very anxious about. And I think it can be a very important reminder that when you are digging into the learning in one area, there is almost like this multifaceted journey that you're starting on. I, I don't know, like, maybe. But uh, that that newsletter, I will be sure to link to it. It's It's one of my absolute favorite resources. And Meredith, you start that organization or that fan club, like I will sign up (laughs) uh, for sure. I'd love to kind of come at that from a different angle. You know, what you're seeing in one another is beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. It's my privilege to be able to like document this and you can come back to this episode, hopefully like years down the road. But I'm wondering if you could talk about what it is about the co-facilitation that helps you grow like what is it about your practice together that's helped you independently grow as an educator as a facilitator as a person if you want to go there Um, because i think there is the there's the partnership but i think the mark of a true partnership is like i can see ways that this is helping me independent of the, the partnership as well I th-
1: this this partnership has shown me
0: first of all that
1: um that I can be a little bit more enduring than I thought I might otherwise would be that that I you know I just to that you know when we when I was asked originally I thought okay okay let's see how this goes you know a year or two and here we are um you know preparing year three and I have, You know, there have certainly been phases where I felt, you know, a little bit tired, a little bit overwhelmed, but um, it's never been a question of like, you know, like I I can do it. I can do it because, again, it's not just me. It's not I I, it's shared. It's very much shared. Um, The other thing is 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 also recognizing I I have a a much clearer sense of where my strengths are and where my weaknesses are. I know the things that I don't prefer to do. And, um, and I know where my strengths are. So I know the things that I'm happy to do. And, and I think that I can communicate openly about those. And, and so I, you've heard me mention emails. That is not my strengths. But I, am, I, am, I will respond. I can, I'm good at responding, but, but initiating the correspondence, the chain of correspondence, initiating the scheduling, not my forte, but I work with someone who has got that. And so that makes it so much easier to, you know, just to, to just work with each other's strengths. So, so grateful. So very grateful for that.
2: Yeah. And what's so funny about that is in that Sherry, I, 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 the way I put it is she protects me from burning out in many different ways. And she's very aware of that, you know, with who I am as a person, some of my own, you know, personality traits and tendencies. She's very aware of me, and very aware of how she kind of she grounds me to not burn out. Um, and and helps me kind of. Um, I, it's kind of like um, it's like she anticipates my big eyes, and she, she helps me to not um, you know. To be reasonable, <laughs> so but and, and and I need that I, I need that very much. Um, you know, I I am not always aware of all the things. that my, Not just from this, but like you know, we all have lives and we have full time jobs and we have families and we have other responsibilities. And sometimes I'm not always aware of how that's all accumulating in my life. And again, this, she she sees it. She knows me. She sees me, and she helps me to not burn out.
0: I'm wondering actually if you would pinpoint specifically what that looks or sounds like because this is there's like an endemic of this in education, right? And I think there's been this false narrative around when you work in education, you should be willing to sacrifice your health, your happiness, all of it, right? You know, I think about some of those photos that were in my social media feed at the beginning of the pandemic of teachers like literally in a hospital bed still delivering remote learning and how there was almost like a harmful applause around that rather than a no one should be doing work from a hospital bed kind of a question and so I'm wondering for folks who know I'm partnered with somebody who also has big eyes who you know has also been maybe fed this narrative of like you don't Deserve to have the free weekend, right? You're a teacher. You should be having, like, the kids come first, right? That kind of a thing that I think is repeated in dangerous ways. What's actually happening in that? I don't know if it's a conversation or how do we help one another? I like that, you know, protection from burnout. I find there's a lot of folks in education who they need that reminder. Um, So could you, could you kind of just specify? for somebody who's saying, I also want to help somebody or, or myself, like what's a, what's a tactic there? It usually begins. Um,
2: well, either I have some, I, either, either there's a thought or something's bothering me, or we've learned about something that happened in one of our, like, you know, group members' schools, or, you know, I'm, you know, I'm in a tizzy, I don't know something. And I'll just kind of, you know, like unravel a little bit and she she'll just look at me and she'll say Meredith and then she puts her hand and she's listen. And then it's like the way that she says it it's like okay. Okay. And like she sometimes that's all she has to say. And then sometimes it's with some her sort of like remind, you know, how she's coming at like, you know, what's reasonable for me or for us together or for our group to kind of take on and you know, um I think, you know, I think when you're in this and you you know, you're trying to, there's all these different systems, right? You brought that up earlier. I don't remember if that was before we were recording or not, but like just how all these systems kind of work together, right? And so when you're trying to think about, um, you know, some, a thing that happens, right? And like, what are all those intersections? And then sometimes it can feel very overwhelming like, how do we get out of that? How do we break these systems? You know, this supremacy and this um, you know, the the all the isms, right? All the isms that work together, the capitalism and the patriarchy and the sexism and the racism and the and the all the isms, right? And for me, sometimes I find myself I, I fight, I fight that, like you know, gotta gotta do gotta do gotta do with that this is a this is a larger system these spheres these orbs are so much bigger and so much more systemic and entrenched and and rooted um that when i when i when i kind of have those sort of dueling feelings it's that conversation that sherry has where it's it's like listen what what again is often comes down to what what can we control what can we not control. Mm you know, and, you know,
0: it's, it's, it's giving me a space to kind of loop back. I love the framing of what's reasonable of the simplicity and the power in that question. And I know it's almost become like um, popular for folks to have like the Ted Lasso believe sign and like, look at that, touch that sign. And, I think for this summer I actually might get a yellow piece of paper and put the question what's reasonable and like pin it to my wall. I think that's a great it's a great reminder and it's a very human very necessary question. I think part of part of what
1: sustains me is community. It's it's belonging and having belonging within trustful communities. Um, and realizing that I do not have to do any of this alone. And and what Meredith pointed out to you is that when you when you zoom out, right, and you look at capitalism and patriarchy, sometimes that helps me. That helps me to realize, wait, it's not, it's not just me, it's not just ours. No, this is an institution. The institution is not gonna love me. The institution may, you know, may p- offer me my paycheck, gives me some degree of security, but the uh, the the institution is under no obligation whatsoever to love me and to care for me as an individual. And, and so often that zooming out and recognizing those systems and the way that they operate and the way that they um, combine um, to to sort of create the the soup that we're trying to survive in, that helps me to sort of recognize, oh, right, okay, right. It's not <laughs> I don't have to solve this today for everyone. No, nope. what I do need to do is figure out what, how I'm going to handle the next two hours or the next 24 hours. Um, and who can help me with that. And and that's that's where those conversations are so, so useful. So, uh, really, don't get it twisted. I rely I lean on Meredith as much uh to to sort of help me like just sort of like get through stuff um when when confronted with like overwhelm like I'm definitely a candidate for like I'm I'm, (laughs) girl likes her overwhelm like that's me right so um I also need someone who's going to be like hmm hmm, so what are you doing this evening what are you watching this evening like what (laughs) so yeah community is really key to that
0: well then really my final question this time the community belonging piece and you know what you're saying in terms of we don't have to do it on our own and the reality of we're not doing it on our own either right like there I'm going to give a shout out to a resource that I talk about all the time on this podcast but Sherry you helped me better understand actually why I really enjoy this podcast and it's because it it points me to so many other incredible folks who are doing powerful work, grassroots. You know, I I think it can be very easy in the era of today's media to feel overwhelmed because, you know, and again, like our social media algorithms are built to keep us outraged, terrified, right? So I always try to remind myself, don't fall into the trap of doom scrolling this app is built to make you do that. So like you, you have to fight actually to avoid that (laughs) tendency. Um, the podcast is there are no girls on the internet by Bridget Todd. And this past year, actually, I have been such a fan of Bridget Todd's work for a long time. And I finally got to interview her. And I know everybody says like, don't meet your heroes. That's garbage advice. Like I am an even greater fan now, Uh, but the work that her show is doing that constantly points us to organizations, grassroots efforts that I think just remind me of while the headlines are terrifying and things are at a very precarious point, there are so many organizations out there. Like the community of folks who are engaged in this work is incredible. Um, So that's a program that instills hope in me in a maybe like a confusing kind of way because it's addressing these issues. But it's reminding me that, um, yeah, there's a lot of amazing folks out there doing a lot of amazing things. And I'm wondering, since we're at this, this point where folks are getting ready for summer break, is there a resource that helps just that that point of inspiration that has been useful to you or that reminds you of the power of community um, that you could recommend folks check out or explore um, this is why i have a newsletter so i can so i, I
1: don't have to choose just one um, so I can, every month i can send out like 10 10 things here i know i said 3 but here take two <laughs> um, but i have to say um one one newsletter that I enjoy on the regular, that I open on a regular basis, and because it it addresses a whole number of things. For some folks, they may find a little on the vanilla side, um, but it it still, I still enjoy it. And I say, and if you are a paid subscriber, then you get the the benefit of the threads, which are community conversations. And the most recent thread was wonderful because it was specifically What's great about being queer? I loved it, and again, she uh, it's Anne Helen Peterson's culture study and and she said, "If you are a het, go away. this is not this is not for you to comment. Shut up. We are only listening to queer people telling us about what's great about being queer. I loved that thread so, so much, and I'm so grateful that there is a place where I can Heart, that I can, can read that conversation and, and not feel like, and not feel left out. Right. Like, like what, you know, all of those things, like it was just such a wonderful community experience I feel. And and she does that on a regular basis. And sometimes I, I, yeah, I just, I think it's a, a really, and also because she's pointing to so many different aspects of life and work and, and um, lots of different people. So um, yeah, culture study is maybe one of my favorite sort of hubs of, links and diversions maybe even too
0: and i'll point out i'll edit this if i'm wrong but i am pretty sure that um peterson's newsletter that if you are unable to uh afford that a bonus level i'm pretty sure she often says like hey respond and let me know no questions asked i'll add you which is wonderful yes um i
2: i get the i get uh, i subscribe to um Elena Aguilar's blog uh and I I just love her I I love how she frames approaching just a range of things it's through, always through an equity lens and at the same time she uh, because she's you know a coach the way that she kind of conceptualizes working through this stuff speaks to kind of how Sherry and I are with the whole like the conversational piece and the um I just I, I again I just I I feel like i always learn something um and i always look at myself in a different way when i read her post um i will read something that she wrote and it will make me really challenge myself like Mm -hmm. oh mm, i'm not sure i'm doing such a good job with that thing like and i like that like i like that really directed challenge um and i also really like um well at any time that um zaretta hammond puts out something i really like what she puts out um just because I'm, i'm very interested in that intersection of um, like brain development with this work, I, I that's that's not something that I have like I don't have that science background, and so I I, I kind of like to soak up anything she puts out because I find that her research in brain development um, is just um, really fascinating to me, and again makes me question my own practice in a way that helps me stretch and grow. It's not like I just it's it's not just affirming. Right. It's, it's productively challenging to me. And yeah. I, I appreciate that.
0: I love that. Well, I will be sure to include the links to all of those in the show notes. So listeners, <clears throat> you can dig into that. And I should mention, it's it's great that you mentioned Elena Aguilar, too, because, you know, us thinking about the design of professional learning, her most recent book on that is really, really great. Um, and I've just recently been having a lot of conversations about coaching for equity, which is another one of those books that I find myself like going back to again and again. So uh, again, thank you both so much for those recommendations and thank you for sharing your stories, your expertise. Um, I really appreciate that. And hopefully again, just looking out for for more moments to potentially uh, see this co-facilitation partnership grow for schools who are listening and are thinking we want to do more to empower our teachers to collaborate, to maybe move away from a model where it is always like one person who's delivering something. But I think we've talked a lot about the benefits for you in the collaboration. I think there's benefits for the participant and the audience as well. So for folks who maybe want to connect with you to talk about um, getting some support in this area um what might be the best way for them to reach out and and expand on this conversation or to not do that
1: well twitter is still my living room (laughs) um until you know until it you know rides into the sunset i I will be there until the wheels fall off which is imminent it seems um Mm -hmm. but that's my main uh place um yeah, that's the easiest way to to sort of find me. Uh, Bending the arc is the other avenue. So I'm out there. I'm online. You can find me.
2: And this is this is the converse. this is the question that always makes us giggle because <laughs> like Sherry is like like come hell or high water she is with Twitter and then it's gonna go and then <laughs> because of her massive community there. I mean I, I understand it. Um, and I am. It's so terrible with social media. So I literally, people can just find me on LinkedIn, and that is that is that is
0: that is all I have to offer. Okay, that's not. I thought you were going to be like, I'm so terrible with social media. Like, make yourself a paper airplane, put my <laughs> name on it, and just out the window. Maybe somebody will pass it on. We'll see. All right. Well, thank you. I'll I'll be sure to link to uh, your LinkedIn, Meredith, and Sherry, your Twitter. I am glad that you are in that space. I am still there as well. Uh, and I, yeah, I feel like it's important. It's important mm-hmm. for us to to stay there. Or again, I, speaking of not being able to plan for the magic, like you can't plan for the magic. You come across something every once in a while in that stream that is like, wow. Anyway, thank you both. I'm wishing you both uh, restorative, enjoyable Uh, slow summer where the hours feel like they the pace has just kind of like I don't know it's it's like rust in the wheels of of the days or something like that
2: well thank
1: you so much trisha thank you for having us
2: thank you really enjoyed the chat